Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia, and I am very pleased to introduce my guest today. I have with me journalist, author. Um, uh, I, I, I went with author and journalist before columnist because he also writes some fascinating, fantastic columns. Because here we are uh, about to talk about his journalist and author avatar, Rahul Pandita. Uh, hi, Rahul. How are you doing? Welcome to Mind Podcast. Thanks, Adit. It's a pleasure to. Uh... Absolutely. So, you know, there are there are about a million things to talk about in this world. But uh, lately, um, I have been over the last week or so uh, immersed in Rahul's latest book, The Lover Poet of Babalpur. He's previously written Our Moon Has Blood Clots and Hello Buster, two best-selling books. But this one that came out, I think, what two months ago or three months ago, if I'm not mistaken. Just about a month back. Yes. Just about a month back. Okay. Uh, uh, this post-pandemic, the timelines are all mess, messed up, meshed up in my head. So I didn't know it was a month. It's about the Pulwama attacks and the aftermath of it, and how the case was cracked, and how a bunch of determined officers, essentially, and through a you know a, a sort of a mesh of some intriguing coincidences and some terrific police work. The, uh, uh, the the case was cracked. So before I get into the details of the book, um, it's 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 a terrific book, Rahul. It's a page turner. And uh, so, what prompted you to write this story? Because in the world of twenty four seven news, we are reacting to everything real time. You know, including writing columns, pieces, tweets, and so forth. So sometimes taking a step back a year, two years later, and reevaluating the events almost becomes impossible in this day and age. So, what prompted you? You know, other thing. You know, in the older days, we used to lament about the fact that there is too little news around. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, with the advent of internet and social media, etc., you, you know, the uh, biggest grudge I hear from uh, readers all over the world, actually, specifically mm-hmm. in India, is that there's too much info around, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't know what to do uh, with it, and they don't know how to process it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two things uh, why uh, this grudge is there. Number one is that, uh, uh, you know, in the post-truth world, as they call it, uh, people do not know what to trust because, you know, there's too much information um, and most of it is not does not come from authentic sources. Uh, so the authenticity, whether it is true or not, always remains a problem, number one. Number two, in my experience, what also happens is that you know, at the end of the day, your readers who are concerned about what is happening around there uh, in the world also want it to be presented in a form which is also entertaining, uh, right? Uh, so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the biggest crash I have had with journalism specifically in India is that there's too little good writing. Uh, now, you know, I, I don't want to be uh, immodest here and say that I'm a good writer, but at least, you know, I you know, you put in some effort to be a decent storyteller. Uh, so, uh, you know, as a, I call myself a student of India, you know, uh, sometimes when some of my mentors introduce me to their students and say, oh, he's someone who's traveled through the length and breadth of this country and he's an expert of India. I say, no, no, nobody can can be an expert on this, of this country. I'm just a student of uh, this country. And I, you know, I, and there are some, personal stakes I have in this country, especially in Kashmir, etc. So, you know, you follow news coming from conflict areas, especially from Kashmir, on a, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and I was following this case right from, you know, the day zero, basically, 
when the attack happens on uh, February 14, 2019. Um, and, and a few weeks later after the incident happened, I was traveling uh, through Pulwama in South Kashmir uh, with the team of the Indian Army. And uh, it had some people from the military intelligence who were a part of the response team that were, uh, you know, that was the first to reach uh, mm -hmm. the minutes after the incident took place. So they told me uh, something uh, which fascinated and terrified me at the same time. You know, when the blast happened, the uh, you know the impact of the blast was so severe that they found the bodies of four paramilitary soldiers. You know, forty died. Forty died in this particular suicide attack, dangling on the other side of the road. It's a wide double road over a hillock on a couple of communication towers. So then, you know, at, around that point in time, the story became personal for me because my attempt as a journalist, as a storyteller also is to put faces beyond these statistics. Usually you hear, you know, 40 people have died, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's why for the first time when I kind of became interested in the story and uh, began to follow it more diligently. So just to, just to add here, so a lot of people forget it's almost 30 feet away. 30 or maybe a little more than 30 feet away is where some of the bodies were found, right? If you yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, just like take a pause and think about it. Like if something happened and then a part of a body is lying 30, 30, I mean, this is not to gross you guys out, but to, that just tells you the impact of this, what is going on and stuff like that. So, so that is, that is sort of, um, that is, that is the, um, crux of the matter right but, but you start with a very interesting bit which and i don't want to reveal a lot of what you say in the book right now because i want people to go and read it and then come and comment and troll both of us in the comment section saying but you talk about it starts with the man with shaky hands it starts his voice is being scrubbed over the the video that comes out is you know very shaky and stuff so from there you take out to the um, uh, 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 to the point where such an impactful blast happened so in a, in a weird sort of way, you have this one sort of guy pulling the strings and only they know what is going to happen. And there is a lot of sort of confusion amongst uh, amongst the people on the ground as well about what ultimately is going to happen. And you allude to a lot of other attacks that are going to happen, but were foiled and so forth. So as a journalist, when you look at this, what does that tell you? Is there is there sort of a um, disconnect, or is there some some sort of a complete? Um, has the forces actually uh, sort of made such gaping holes or made such advances that sort of their their communication structure has been sort of messed up as well since? I think it's a I think it's a big challenge for intelligence agencies for security agencies operating in Kashmir. Hmm. Um, and around this time, this is February 2019, um, oh. there are, you know, th there is news uh, floating in intelligence. Uh, oh. Oh. There's some chatter about uh, the possibility of, a, of an attack, etc. But in a, in a place like Kashmir, you know, it happens all the time. Oh. Oh. Uh, you know, so, so the intelligence has to be really divided into two kinds. You know, one is a very uh, general sort of intelligence, you know, the kind of intelligence uh, the Delhi police receives or the intelligence bureau receives in Delhi on, uh, say, India's Republic Day or India's Independence Day. Uh, you know that uh, uh, Islamist extremists are planning something. You know that's a that's a very general sort of 
um, uh, intelligence. And then you have intelligence, which in uh, intelligence parlance is called actionable intelligence, right? right? Okay. Where you have absolutely specific information about the fact that, you know, okay, you know, there are three young men hiding in this house and yeah. they are up to something. Uh, they've got aluminum powder, you know, they're buying shoes, they're buying knives. So mm -hmm. something is happening and they have a car parked uh, you know, in the in the courtyard. So that is actionable intelligence. But in this case, unfortunately, there was no actionable intelligence. Correct. And uh, you know, Jash being Jash, you know, that is uh, one advantage uh, Jash has over other uh, militant groups, especially the local militant groups like Hezbollah, yeah. Mujahideen, etc. Because the masterminds, you know, they are trained in the best facilities of Jash or Al-Qaeda or Taliban in Pakistan or in Afghanistan. In this case, the mastermind um, was stayed in one of the best facilities yeah. uh, in, in Sangin camp in Helmand province of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So these guys are trained for this stuff. Yeah. So when, when, when the mastermind comes to uh, Kashmir, you know, his first task is to identify an emotional man who he can, who, you know, who's already radicalized, but mm -hmm. is radicalized further because, you know, after all, it's very difficult to convince someone that, you know, he has to uh, travel, drive this car and then press a button and then, you know, it will uh, blow him up too. And yeah. that is what happens. The best right. of the people get nervous at the last time, you know, they have double thoughts. Right. Um, but, you know, that is what... Uh, that, is, that is what this is. Right. So, so yeah. is all about. And then when and in you write in the chapter the Army of Muhammad about uh, uh, about Jaish Muhammad in you know 1989 when the intelligence agencies were sending inputs to the then Chief Minister Farooq Abdullah who was um, you know upon being asked about the blast and the killings of Kashmiri Hindus was saying that there was no militancy right so it the, the denial about Jaish happened in 1989 clearly we've moved very very far beyond that and now jesh is probably uh, you know along with the hizbul and you know the other sort of um, organizations uh, the two major uh, uh, challenges for the security forces but in a in a weird sort of way you mentioned the camp in afghanistan i think we are almost facing a similar situation in afghanistan again and and it, and that just means that the challenges for our security forces are probably tenfold than what they were probably five years ago as well. Would you say that's the case right now as well? Well, in this case, you know, the Jash is formed a little, formed a little later after Masood Azhar is released. Correct, correct. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, I'll clarify. No, I, I was talking about the elements that formed the Jash. The same elements were active in 18, 1989, but in a different format. Yes, in a different format, in the form of Jammu and Kashmir liberation, Kashmir. Yeah. Mujahideen, and so on and so forth. Right, right, right. Well, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge looking at the developments in Afghanistan, and now there will be uh, a lot of rogue forces who will be kind of uh, diverted towards India. But I think um, you know we have faced this uh, eventuality um, several times, at least in the. Uh, last 11 12 years i remember doing a story from kashmir um, in 2009 when you know some elements of taliban you know it's a very vague territory also sometimes were arrested in in north kashmir and they were interrogated and so on and so forth um, but but we must also remember that you know in that sense india is a strong state and uh, um, you know it's not Kashmir will not fall like Kabul in that sense. Oh, absolutely. Right? absolutely. So, 
so yeah. so you know some some elements will happen maybe there will be uh, some increase in your infiltration uh, the people will be better trained obviously some casualties will happen and they will do some damage but, but in my view it's not something uh, which the indian state cannot handle right now huh. absolutely okay so i have one contemporary to resolve so going back to the 2019 timeline uh, you you mentioned that the the investigation agencies you know a car was very certain very essential that's that's what kicked everything off right so it, it's odd what cars do because if a lot of people might not uh, remember but 1993 mumbai bomb blast it was a car essentially that led to the whole sort of conspiracy unraveling and stuff uh, so in 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 much in many ways you know what you know the more things change they remain the same uh, 30 years apart um when you talk about intelligence officers we we almost find that there are multiple agencies also at work here so you have the jammu and kashmir police you have the national agencies and so forth and it was such a time that everyone was trying to you know do this as as rapidly as possible and then post the pulwama you had the balakot strikes right so you you mentioned in your book that even on the other side on the other side of pakistan in, in pakistan there was a recalibration that was after the balakot happened let's not accelerate post pulwama so you think that has sort of changed how policing will be done to and so forth because if if everyone sort of took a back seat and went to the back is that becomes a challenge for the police as well for the security forces as well to get and you know uh, uh, fish out the perpetrators post sort of well this remains a this remains a constant challenge i think both uh, sides learn from their mistakes Uh, you know in, in this case for example you know the lot of hard work is involved of course the national investigation agency and the jammu and kashmir police you know the officers uh, uh, some of the best i've known in in my 20 years of experience as a conflict reporter um uh, very you know very efficient officers uh, and a lot of hard work goes into it but you know sometimes luck also favors it Yes. and you know there is a mistake which the mastermind umar khalid who is the uh, nephew of uh, jashish founder masood azhar yeah. uh, you know he commits that mistake you know he does not uh, kind of uh, you know i don't want to reveal much so exactly so you, you so don't know what it, it's such a challenge that because i have notes in on my kindle so i'm trying not to reveal and speaking around them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a, it's a constant challenge so you know he commits one mistake Yeah. Um, and and I'm sure in 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 future they will not uh, commit such uh, mistakes again. You know, which ultimately, you know, it's one that that one mistake which unravels the entire uh, operation, the entire conspiracy behind uh, uh, the 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 suicide attack. So you know, it's a, it's a it's an ongoing process. So what's right. another fascinating bit I found in the book was Balwal's interrogation of uh, a key suspect, which reveals to a huge revelation, uh, you know, about the the the, the person in the Sindhi Ajraktopi. Again, not saying much uh, because that you reveal the Sindhi Ajraktopi in the first chapter itself. But the it it starts by him meeting a complete radical, and he decides that a approach to um, and and typically you find people making the conclusion that was he is radicalized, so you have to almost clamp down. And rather than that, he starts with food, and that's what ultimately breaks him uh, in the end, right? So you you also found because interrogation is, I mean, 
as anyone who's spoken to security forces or travel done conflict reporting they always say it's a patient game of patience it's it's about who breaks first you know the guy interrogating or the guy being interrogated and um, so it's it's interesting that they actually chose this approach when there was a lot of pressure you know to you know get results fast and stuff and that leads them to the whole truck situation you know with the uh, again not revealing much but where so that's that's a bit of luck and here is a bit of technique right so when you talk to officers and i'm not telling you to reveal the names of who you talk to but what what do you reckon what do you reckon their perspective was on all this how how did they sort of reconcile with everything the facts see it depends on situation to situation and yeah. you know in this case rakesh is a very experienced uh, mm-hmm. very efficient officer you know someone he's from the manipur cadre of the indian mm-hmm. police mm-hmm. um and has dealt with some really high profile cases uh, in the northeast right Correct. so you know he he he's aware he's a well read guy he's mm-hmm. aware of Uh, things around him he's aware of torture techniques uh, he's aware of interrogation techniques um, he's he's not someone who uh, likes to uh, adopt a desi approach to things you know like a you know in some police station in uttar pradesh you know you just hit a person and say oh sab kuch bol do you know he's not that yeah. kind of yeah. you know he's he's a he's a learned man so in his experience uh, he knows that uh, you know in cases like these where there's an emotional element involved hmm. let's hmm. i mean let's not have any qualms about the fact and you know let's not have any um, vagueness about the fact that shakir bashir is a radicalized guy but he also comes to this radicalization from an emotional point of view because you know for him jihadi the concept of jihad is everything um, hmm. you know he's not into womanizing he's not uh, into the so called jihad for making money is not into it for uh, for, yeah. for the game of power and rakesh uh, very initially in the you know in the beginning for integration realizes this oh, oh, so oh. in this case he adopts a different technique and oh. and that technique you know it's it's a kind of debate that happens um oh. b- between the terrorist sympathizer between the overground worker and the one and the officer who is interrogating him and ultimately it bears fruit as you said it requires a lot of patience but ultimately it bears fruit and many facets of the investigation come to fore come to fore absolutely and, and and what what i thought was interesting was that when you talk about the jash one of the most important things was crossing the border and the whole tunnel situation that's happening in jammu and kashmir not a whole lot has been written before about these i mean it's a well known fact amongst ma- various uh, security uh, you know uh, uh, fanatics as i call it i am not saying forces but a lot of us who actually keep tabs of what is happening what is the latest ye कहीं कहीं पेपर में रिपोर्ट्स आते रहते हैं बट नॉट अ होल लॉट इज एक्सप्लोर्ड व्हाट इज इंटरेस्टिंग इज द काइंड ऑफ पीपल दैट वर ट्रांसपोर्टेड राइट बिकॉज़ द पीपल दैट वर बीइंग ट्रांसपोर्टेड वर हार्डकोर जैश टेररिस्ट्स बट द नेटवर्क ऑफ पीपल इन जम्मू पंजाब एंड कश्मीर वेयर नॉट रियली हार्डकोर टेररिस्ट्स अ फ्यू ऑफ देम लाइक यू यू नो वी आर टॉकिंग द गाय यू आर टॉकिंग अबाउट हुज द ब्रदर ऑफ सेवन सिस्टर्स अगेन नॉट टेकिंग नेम ही हैड अ वेरी लिबरल व्यू एंड फ्रॉम देयर टू यू नो गोइंग वेरी इज सो इट्स 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 ऑलमोस्ट दैट दिस नेटवर्क हैज बीन विद पीपल हुम we have not heard of before or whom uh, who have only popped up in the last 10 years they are all uh, post 1990 kids because 1990s were 
a huge inflection point in Kashmir, not only with the Kashmiri Hindus and what happened in 1989 and 1990, but also with, you know, the 1996 elections and so forth and, you know, a different normalcy. So do you think that we're dealing with a very different sort of beast, so to speak, with a very post, post-radicalized generation? It is a dif- uh, definitely a different beast, uh, other than I must tell you, because um, you, you know the people who got attracted to militancy to terrorism in nineteen ninety were a completely different people. Mm-hmm. You know, many of them were rogue elements within the Kashmiri society. Um, they were radicalized, but they were not as radicalized as this uh, the current generation of uh, people are. And in my experience, what is very worrying is that these people, the younger ones, have a very definitive image of what radical Islam is all about. Uh, That is something which in my experience I found missing among the older generation uh, of uh, militants of the Jammu and Kashmir Liberation Front or Nizrul Mujahideen. Of course, they were very clear about some things like uh, you know, the, the Kashmiri Hindus have to be expelled, for example, yeah. and they have to use some Islamic slogans and, you know, they have to uh, rally around. Re- renaming of places. I mean, abhi do, abhi pehle, no, no, renaming of places, Shankaracharya Hill. Abhi two days ago, there was a controversy on Twitter where it was called Takte Suleiman by an uh, officer. <laughs> Well, you know, the, you know, Dr. Suleiman also has been uh, in circulation. You know, the uh-huh. name has been in circulation for a long, long time. No, no, but I'm uh, saying, I'm saying that that was a sort of an prevailing idea. I'm not saying in the 80s, and those yes. were the sort of things that they would talk about, rather than now, which is about ISIS and you know, uh, uh, yes. global yes. Islamist terrorism. You know, yes. who, that's what I'm yeah, saying. So, yeah. so these people, you know, the youngsters have a very definite idea about Islam. And, you know, that is why you see, uh, you know, Pakistan realizes that and they, it wants to, Pakistan wants to cash it. So, you know, when a, when a senior journalist friend of mine read this book, he said uh, uh, that his main takeaway from the book was uh, that Jash only uses commanders who come from Pakistan. The rest of the force you know the on on the ground is our our kashmiri boys and he's absolutely right right so you get these commanders who are very well trained and you know they have the capability of someone like umar farooq example you know he's uh, an expert in explosive making he knows anti-drone technology anti-aircraft he can operate an anti-aircraft gun but he also has something else which is very important uh from the militant point of view he has the gift of the gap you know, he can speak very fluently in Urdu, Dari, Pashto. He can he can he can motivate people like Shakir Bashir or Adil Ahmadar to become to to give their lives really uh, for for the for the cause of Islam. So a man like this, you know, a man like Masood Azhar, is far more dangerous uh, than a you know a petty militant commander like Burhan Wani, you know, who, who's there, who's barely trained, and you know is roaming around with a band of teenage boys uh, with an AK-47 rifle and, you know, yeah. he can barely fire it. Uh, it's, I mean, it's easy to fire an AK-47 rifle and, you know, just point and uh, kill a few people. But it's, uh, I mean, it takes a lot of training uh, to be someone like Masood Azhar or his nephew. Yeah. 
Ha, so, I mean, th th that's the difference now where the security force might not, uh, you know, if if, uh, if if someone, some terrorist who doesn't know the planning thing, if he's killed in an encounter, the security wouldn't, forces wouldn't mind. But someone like a Masood is that they almost would want to capture alive, you know, a, a MC. But, and, and that also brings us to another interesting character who you mentioned, Hanjila Jihadi, Samir Ahmedgar, right? Uh, we, I mean, the fact is, he's very high up in the Jaish hierarchy, but that that fellow is just 22 right so you are finding a, a lot of young sort of boys moving up very fast in the jesh hierarchy uh, i was i mean at, at, at in the 40s almost seems of course granted that the a lot of the jesh terrorists have been taken out by the security forces so that situation is also there but it almost seems like they a, a lot of young like between teen boys and 20 year old boys suddenly are being attracted to Jesh. Now, to is, is the only way now to sort of, you know, address the elephant in the room sort of thing that boss, this is not going to be solved. This is not going to be solved just by negotiations and stuff. This, you, you will just have to police them out. There is just no other way around it. Or is it like a mixture of both? That's, that's, that's why, I, why, why I keep on debating that, you know, after 30 years of fighting militants in Kashmir, you know, the end goal of counterinsurgency doctrine in Kashmir cannot be the fact that you're eliminating X number of militants every month. Right. You know, you, you must have seen security agents. You know, the, the police does its own press conferences. The army does its own press conferences. The CRPO does its own press conferences. And they say that, you know, between September and March, you've killed X number of militants, etc. Now, you know, killing armored militants who kill a number of civilians and uh, perpetrate uh, these attacks upon security forces, you know, killing them is a must. But that cannot be the end goal of the counterinsurgency doctrine in Jammu and Kashmir. And I think, you know, the, the, the current government is realizing it, albeit uh, a little slowly, but, you know, I, I think the understanding is there. So, yeah, right. so in my in my in my opinion, the success of the counterinsurgency doctrine would be, you know, in in this book, for example, there's a character called Vazul Islam. Oh, now, Vazul oh, Islam, you know, he's a 17, 18 year old boy oh. who is far away from the uh, uh, radical streets of Pulwama. You know, he belongs to an affluent family, lives in a very affluent part of yeah. uh, the, you know, in a very affluent locality in Srinagar. I mean, the, the, but, the, the fact, the fact that an Amazon account. <laughs> uh, as an Amazon account and, you know, the, and the jazz reaches in. So I think in my view, the, the ultimate success of the counterinsurgency doctrine in Kashmir would be that the Indian state reaches someone like Vazul Islam before uh, someone from the jazz does. And when that happens, I think you will see that 95% of the problem, you know, yeah. uh, regarding terrorism in Kashmir will be automatically solved. Yeah, and, and what you said is very important that Vaisul actually comes from a very affluent sort of part of Kashmir. So it's not right. the economic problem that uh, a few uh, Western scribes want to believe, you know, oh, because they, the, 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 the West loves poverty porn. So all they do is write about economics as, <laughs> as nothing, nothing can be far from truth in Kashmir's case. Exactly, exactly. So, so, but, but, and I mean, everyone who's, you know, been in India or has read about Kashmir knows the fact that if this was an economic problem, uh, uh, what happened in the 1990s, you know, wouldn't have happened because it happened actually a lot of people who were very economically well off were leading sort of the charge, you know, against the Kashmiri Hindus. So, Absolutely. 
so so that that is that is the thing but in in you know the, coming to the last um, 10 15 minutes of our discussion um if i if i if i do like a 360 degree view of this right because you mentioned pre pre the almost we can define as indian counterinsurgency pre pulwama and then post pulwama because i don't think anything like this was expected because the uh, number of attacks of the scale had gone down significantly you had 40 crpf commandos that were you know uh, and, and i'm you know I'm, i'm grateful that you actually write about the commandos as well as painful as it was to read you know it 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 gives you a different perspective when you put a face to the tragedy right because uh, otherwise like you said headline hi ho jata if it's one or two you actually know their names if it's 40 it's 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 a name in a big infographic or a list that goes around on whatsapp you know with uh, people writing messages saying remember them and things like that and you know it, it gets forgotten right so do you see a change in the approach of the indian state post uh, i wouldn't even say indian state indian agencies post pulwama i think uh the incident of pulwama the attack on pulwama where these 40 crpf personnel died mm-hmm. is a watershed moment in the in the history of um in the history of india really mm-hmm. uh because the you know the way you deal with counter insurgency in kashmir may not have changed as much mm-hmm. but other things have changed uh india's response to such terror attack Changed on the evening of Pulwama, when uh, the Prime Minister and his some of his colleagues took a decision. I can tell you the same evening uh, to strike at the heart of Pakistan. So in that sense, a Rubicon was crossed crossed uh, on that particular evening, and and that particular incident also in many ways laid the foundation stone for the abrogation of Article Three Seventy uh, okay. a few months. few months later now my yeah and how does how has it changed it has changed in the sense that no matter which government comes to power in new delhi uh, in 2024 or 29 and so on and so forth if a similar terror attack happens anywhere in india any government will be forced to at least uh, measure up to this particular strike if not more now this yeah. has become the new yardstick so i think as far as i am concerned this is a very significant change in india's response to such terror attacks you know something which should have happened long time back but did not happen uh, because of reasons we know well i mean it should have definitely happened after the 2008 mumbai attacks for example Absolutely. and you know many many other times you know after india's parliament attack on parliament parliament in yeah. 2001 but it did not happen you know because of a certain weakness because of um, a certain lack of focus now this has happened now we can debate what happened in balakot you know uh, what actual damage it did but it did damage enough for militant organizations like gas to realize as i say in the book uh, mm-hmm. that nuksan utna hi karna chahiye jitna dushman in this india ko uthane ka bardash kar sake uske beyond you know But these guys will retaliate, and that will not augur well for us. And, and India has had a. Uh, the, the, there has been a senior officer once who told me that India has had a history 
of being very tolerant you know or or being very sort of accepting of what has happened northeast there is a whole sort of uh, 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 encyclopedia that can written about what india did in the northeast where not only were the insurgents won over one of them actually became the cm and you know how uh, how how exactly it was done so no doubt about it but one 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 very interesting thing i think was a difference from what happened in uri was where we crossed the line of control but uh, um, uh, here we, we demonstrated the ability that we don't even mind crossing the international border and i think that's what so vaise dekha jaye to 2019 itself was a huge year in the history of kashmir because not only did you have the abrogation of article 370 but also a clear indication that the 1999 policy where we decided that we would not cross the line of control not only that we would not if if we are given we don't mind giving it back uh, by crossing the international border if it has to be done that way i mean on the line of control many incidents happen on a day to day basis and we know for sure that you know the indian army has crossed the line of control several times and they also do it uh, and so on and so forth so mm-hmm. you know uri uh, surgical strike was also significant but you know after a point of time it just becomes symbolic you yeah. know you just you just cross over the line of control and do what you have to do and then you come back but this is for the first time when the war is really taken to the heart of pakistan you know right. balakot is not on the line of control really you know it's, exactly it's it's deep inside and you employ a certain capability uh, you know you 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 deploy fighter planes uh to to really drop this munition uh on the on the jash facility you know there's a there's a symbolic truth attached to it you know because of the history of balakot which i uh, mentioned uh, yes when the when the raw asset really surveys that area uh and what happens and when the raw you know when the officer tells uh the 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 people in raw head in new delhi about uh this historical significance of balakot and then you know the decision to strike balakot is sealed inside and also the the way the asset surveys is fascinating also when you mentioned of the nuances that actually te- uh, uh, uh that that are t- broadcast to delhi because again without good intelligence and and the f- speed with which let's not forget the the time between pulwama and balakot given the level of operation the scale of planning that it must have taken and for the asset to survey because ye to hai nahi ki the asset surveyed and these guys just started in 5 hours i mean it would have had to have a significant amount of planning that was quite incredible absolutely and uh, to to move an uh, asset in such short time yeah uh, who could give you a real time inputs Uh, on a on a jazz facility and then you know you deploy your fighter planes to drop that munition um it's it, it's really happened for the first time really. absolutely okay so in 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 conclusion then um uh, rahul so the book i divide the book into three parts the first part is obviously you talking about the 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 background itself because you spent two chapters which are very important chapters talking about gazi baba and what happened in 2001 2003 you know encounters and so forth because it is very important for people to realize when we went how we went from jammu and kashmir liberation front to jaish e mohammed to the hizb and everyone else you know having a stake in kashmir and that is part of the story of kashmir from the 90s to the 2000s and how it sort of became uh, from <clears throat> 
from separatism to terrorism to or maybe it started with terrorism separatism terrorism to terrorism inc as i call it because you know now you have like this consortium of terrorist groups uh, who who actually have counter stakes also because uh, you know they themselves have some sort of very uh, if people are familiar with the mumbai gangster culture thoda un mein bhi asai type of hai right but i'm not again undermining what they, the second part would be the challenges that the security forces face and in the last sort of four years post 2016 and uri how they have changed and how they have been working even closer with jammu and kashmir police to sort of uh, uh, mark an operation on two scales on the global level on the national level and the local level because this has to be a war that has to be won simultaneously you can't just do local and forget the global picture and the third part is obviously identifying the elements who are absolutely present in pakistan but how high up they are in pakistan and where they are located in pakistan and like you said bawalpur and balakot are not uh, uh, at the border right so you in those those that important distinction those are my sort of three sort of things about the book and then the attack just forms sort of a uh, nice thread that can I should say nice but a thread that connects all of them right um, i mean what what is your take on them no i think uh, uh, the other significant i take significant take uh, i have from from this investigation is that this is perhaps for the first time uh, that a very professional investigation takes place uh, right uh, you know in the past of uh, foreign investigation agencies like fbi for example have had a grudge or or a complaint with indian intelligence agencies when they would go uh, to them with the evidence say from the mumbai terror attacks etc right and we say oh you know first of all uh, you got this evidence but why are you telling us uh, when you know everything why are you telling us number one so you i mean you have to do what you have to do number one mm-hmm. it changes through bala court number one number two is sometimes and i'm i'm just quoting it from uh, the statement of a from a source of mine uh, you know who was uh, privy uh, to uh, the time when the national investigation agency was established after the mumbai uh, attack 2009 yeah 2008 2009 i think and i was it done in, right, in 2008 or 2009 i think i forget no, 2019 2009 yes yeah. so so the the other grudge would be that you, you know when you bring these dossiers you know sometimes mm. they, they read like wikipedia entry because you gathered a lot of information from open sources and then you produce this file and it's so poorly written and the investigation is weak but for the first time in this case uh, the professionalism displayed by the NIA in this case uh, really worked wonders and you know from 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 the car itself uh, through through small players to bigger players all the dots could be connected to pakistan and it happened in a very professional way uh, you know where you could take this dossier and show it to fbi and say was you know this is how it is and uh, i think that's a, that's another significant change um, that took place after pulwama absolutely and if you look at like for students of journalism or books who have read 1993 what happened it's actually a miracle that india actually investigated the bombay blast that they were because it was actually a few determined officers of the mumbai police who made it happen because nationally there was nothing no coordination like what you saw right now and 
one could argue that maybe India wasn't prepared for that. But it, 15 years after 1993 and 2008, we were almost sort of facing the same thing. And ironically, it was some of the same police officers also in charge who were in 1993 as well. So India, India has not been prepared for a very, very long time. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, so many bomb blasts taking place and absolutely no investigation. Um, uh, you know, time and again, uh, hostage situation arising. And, you know, even uh, during the Mumbai terror attacks, you know, you had uh, the National Security Guard, you know, pictures, terrible pictures of them being stuck in a traffic jam, then taken in a civilian bus to the spot. You know, I mean, it 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 made a joke out of us, really. Yeah. So I think some of those responses needed to be changed. Uh, changed. Um, I think some of it has definitely yeah. changed in the last few years, and that's a that's a that's a welcome step. But I must say, you know, at least from the Kashmir's perspective, a lot, lot more uh, needs to be done uh, yeah. before it all comes to an end. Absolutely. Well, the intent is there. Hopefully the intentions and the actions both <laughs> are, are clear, as we say. But um, thank you very much, Rahul. This has been a terrific discussion. Uh, I am sure we uh, people who read the book are going to say that we didn't cover every part of the book, but that was not the intention. Anyways, uh, I want you all to we, we have a tradition at my podcast to give recommendations about this. Uh, the recommendation this week was be of course to read you know this book and uh, 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 give us tell us the feedback uh, about what uh, what you thought about it and maybe maybe ask some questions and we'll pose some follow up questions to Rahul and maybe he'll be happy to answer those as well. So, I will be. It was a pleasure to be um, in conversation with you and I look forward to a few more. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, guys, please, I have to do this every week. Like us on Facebook, follow, subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitter. I detest doing this, but my co-founders kill me if I don't. So <laughs> I have to do it. So like, like and uh, keep supporting Mindmakers. We'll be back next week with more uh, on Mind Podcast. Till then, it's goodbye. Thanks.